as a chief executive officer of the digital space. What do you think? What are some tips, pros, cons, and thoughts about digital interaction? In the digital space, there's so much information from so many different places that people put out the first thing and anything that comes out of their brain. And that's the opposite of what you should be doing. Because first of all, it's permanent. The internet is forever. You put something out, somebody it's screenshot, especially if it's sus. You put out something sus, it's forever, homie. Like they gonna be putting those tweets up on the projector at your funeral. You know what I'm saying? Like they gonna remember. So I think there is a lack of respect for people's time and their attention when it comes to general social media posting. And, and, and if you're learning your social skills from social media, you are learning to be anti-social human being. I ask myself the simple question, is this valuable to anybody who's on the receiving end of this? Welcome everybody to the Baking, Baking Notes, Notes Podcast. Welcome, everybody. We back. How you feeling, brother? I'm feeling great. This is part two in a special series called Essential Social Skills for Musicians. Let's go. Come on. You be in that practice room, not talking to nobody. And then when you get around (laughs) people, you'd be like, huh? What do? So we're here to help you out. But before we get into it, just a friendly reminder, subscribe to the podcast so you can get it downloaded straight to you your pocket while you're sleeping preferably on tuesday morning and also leave us a review we have less than a dozen reviews but we've got five we've got 4.8 stars so leave us five stars and leave a review Uh, we're going to take some time at the beginning of each episode to read a review and uh, today's comes from taylor rossi taylor rossi taylor rossi faking fan member former guest on the podcast and uh This podcast is a conversation about life in the classical world and beyond that all musicians, especially young musicians, need to listen to. It's such an open and honest dialogue about topics that have never been talked about before, but are so imperative. Ooh! In our media, she does a bunch of social stuff, so make sure to check her out. Big time friend of the Faking Notes podcast. Thank you for the review. Uh, If you want to communicate with us more frequently in between the episodes, We finally have a way to do that. It's the Discord. Join the Discord. All you young people, you're in on it. All you old people, get hip to it. It's the place to be. Uh, We got a lot of events over there. We're we're having conversations daily. It's the easiest way to access us and to keep track with what we're doing. And one of the best ways to support us after, of course, subscribing, join the Discord and hanging out with us and sharing the episodes is the Patreon. Give us your money. (laughs) <laughs> it it helps it helps incentivize us to like continue to produce content like this because we're getting older and we're trying to build a family and build a legacy. Having a little bit of monetary support will help us continue to scale this and make sure we can build our team and continually increase the quality of this podcast. Come a long Come way, a long way, and it's because of your support and and your continual listenership. Tell a friend, Tell just a friend. one friend. But enough of that. Let's talk yeah. about your social skills, part two. All right, here we go. So <laughs> let's recap part one of essential social for skills sure, for musicians. For sure, for sure. So we hit a couple highlights. We talked in general and really focused on networking and mm-hmm. how to go about that, how to meet new people, how to meet your idols, how to meet people you've never spoken to before, how to speak to non-musicians. We also had a little bit of a Q&A of questions from our Discord. And then we, we wrapped up with a little segment on getting into how to talk about yourself, what's an effective way to pitch yourself, what you're doing, and work on these general communication skills. Because we all need to work on it. And some of the top line takeaways that we'll probably continue on with our new with our new segments is you got to practice these, you got to have strategies, think on it, work on it. It goes a long way. We understand the value that practice and understanding history and psychology goes into Music, it also goes into communication and social skills. So uh, if you haven't already heard that episode, go check it out and subscribe. Can, can we give them some spark notes just so we can give context uh, to what we're doing today? So with networking, confidence is key. Remember that. You've got to be confident. 
If you're not confident, go find you some, buy it on eBay, put it in your pocket, take it with you. Uh, when you're meeting new people, be interested instead of trying to be interesting. And also with talking about yourself, be real, be humble, and find one way to to really like maybe express something that's impressive about yourself is just to tell a story and be real about how you felt as you were going through that struggle. But today, I think we showed a lot of the successes, a lot of the, the great, the things that can go great. One thing people don't really talk about is like when things go wrong, things to avoid, and what to do if you find yourself having fallen into a social faux pas or a hole, if you will. One of the things I would like to start out with is disagreements. Trevor, have you ever had a disagreement with a colleague? About uh, never in my life. Never? Never. <laughs> Every, everyone agrees with me because that's the only option available. And if they don't agree with me, they're wrong. That's... <laughs> Ooh, man, there are some people. There is a bassoonist that comes to mind. And still to this day, I found myself in a clubhouse room with him recently where he would find the opportunity to be a contrarian in everything one would say. And he would find that as his way to try to assert his dominance and to try to be alpha in in the conversation. And that's not, those are not good social skills. Do not argue with people. Here's something that really interests me. I love watching debates and listening to professional debates. And you can always see when things take a slide where things become personal or you're arguing because of the structure of an argument or for the sake of arguing, not really to change anyone's mind. And I think that's a big part of conversation and really getting out of sticky situations is realizing, am I arguing about the argument? Am I doing this just to defend myself? Am I in a defensive mindset? Am I doing this to take down the other person? Or am I actually trying to provide something else? And Clubhouse is a good example because more people are in the room. More people are listening to this. You see this on podcasts, like a Joe Rogan podcast. He brings on mm -hmm. someone controversial or he brings on two opposing sides and they should start duking it out. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, it's not actually that effective because they come into it with a lot of pre-context and then things get derailed or there's gotcha questions and people get defensive. They get backed in the corners. Why? Because we don't like looking stupid. And I think that's a big part of when you get into these sticky situations and things to avoid, what we're not advocating for, and there's a thin line, is to roll over and just take it when something's going wrong. Someone's giving you a hard time, but you will always look better and more powerful and more in control if you maintain your calm, if you do stand firm for whatever it is you're believing or whatever it is you're advocating for. You're not changing the tone. You're controlling the situation. So you'll, you'll see a bunch of this at the end of a concert. We all know there's that one composer performer who's got a lot of opinions. They come up there and they dump on something someone did or they like make passive aggressive things. And you sit there and you kind of squint. Do, do you remember that person as actually being powerful? As like someone you'd aspire to be? No, you're kind of annoyed by that person. Mm -hmm. If you're overhearing it, it's some annoying alpha move, mm -hmm. and it doesn't exactly inspire. I'm not aspiring to be like them. I don't enjoy it. And then it makes me distrust what else they're saying. So while they may be asserting themselves as I'm in power, like I, I can criticize these things, I am smart, they often look weak. And so the hard part is to look for that in yourself. The self-awareness yeah. is super important. Okay, so how I'm going to approach this is – two phases. The first one is from the Dale Carnegie perspective of how to win friends and influence people. His perspective on it when it comes to arguments is that you shouldn't argue. The only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it. That's a quote from him. Wow. Here's another one. If you argue and rankle and contradict, you may achieve a victory sometimes but it will be an empty victory because you will never get your opponent's goodwill. And what is so important when you reach an inevitable disagreement or parting of perspectives 
is to find common ground. That should be your number one reflex. You should find an area where you agree and continually establish that you were on the same team. What do we agree about? It could be in a musical context. We want this ish to sound good when we play for people. We can agree on that. And I don't believe that what you're saying necessarily sounds bad. And when you come at it from that perspective, if you establish common ground and do so very strongly, you are more likely to change their mind. Now, this also leads to my third quote from, from Dale Carnegie, which is the strongest and really, it really paints a picture as to how you should disagree if you must. The quote is, why prove to a man he is wrong? Is that going to make him like you? Why not let him save face? He didn't ask for your opinion. He didn't want it. Why argue with him? You can't win an argument because if you lose, you lose it. And if you win it, you lose it. Why? You will feel fine, but what about him? You made him feel inferior. You hurt his pride, insulted his intelligence, his judgment, and his self-respect, and he'll resent your triumph. That will make him strike back, but it will never make him want to change his mind. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. End quote. Holy shit. So, Drew, when are you going to do the audio book? <laughs> I love this book, man. Hey, shout out uh, Dale Carnegie. Yeah, uh, shout out. Descendants. You want me to do the, want me to do the, the yeah. remastered? I would love to do that. Let's, we love your concert hall. We love your concert <laughs> hall, guys. Big fan. It's really pretty. But there's a lot of insight to that. And there is a reason why people always point back to that book. All these public speakers, professional debaters, business people, that always winds up on the list. Because in the end, everything you do in business and in life is going to involve conversations and influence. If you boil it down to it, that's it's a big part of what you'll do. You have to interact with other people on this planet to get what you need and to provide value to people. And we, we use this book for good. But one of the, one of the things I like too it, that you had mentioned is, yes, we need to meet people where they're at. I think about that just from a raw musical approach. When I'm teaching a student, I try to find the music they like and then I bridge the gap and I teach from it. When I'm having a conversation with someone, I try to I try my hardest to meet them where they're at as best as I can, whether it's in agreement or in disagreement, because I think it's the most useful thing to find that common ground, just like you said, particularly for disagreements and when issues arrive. In music, you're in an ensemble. You're collaborating with someone. You might have two totally different approaches, particularly if you're in a quartet or something like, geez, there's so much dynamics. Someone's got to make the call. You got to work it out. And instead of just calling the other person an idiot or just saying, this is how it's going to be because I'm sitting first or whatever, I, I don't think that's effective. But even in arguments beyond music, you can't really convince someone to your line of thinking. You have to enable them to discover it for themselves. Mm. And, th and that's how everything works. So what I'm trying to do when I'm trying to get my point across, and again, we mentioned this in part one, these are all kind of Machiavellian, like it seems like games and end games. Oh, good. I'm going to do strategies to get them to do what I think. No, not necessarily. It's not just a zero-sum game where we're doing all these tactics to deceive people and to separately make friends. These are just genuine things, understanding psychology and how people work that you can use to better yourself and your community. If you really believe in your ideas, you can be open to them doing it to you and you doing it to them to then expand everyone's like group pool and hopefully have a better business, uh, a better relationship, a better musical experience. And so I would try to make it easier for them to discover what I'm trying to say rather than telling them what to do and saying that their idea is wrong because you don't want anyone ever on the defensive. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work because that's not a conversation. That's a battle. And we're not trying to go to war. Ex no, we don't want to go to war. And you don't want to ever go to war with people because as Carnegie says, you never really win that. You just earn resentment. And what we're in the business of building as musicians is bridges, not burning them down. So that should be your number one priority. 
Additionally, you're not always right. Like, you got to realize, <laughs> like, your ideas aren't the best. And I know that's so hard. Like, it's important to have confidence in oneself. And it's important to really stick to your guns and understand that your beliefs are important. And still having the humility and openness to new information. Because you should also judge the the character of the people you're working with. If these people continually act in good faith, if they do indeed want the same things you do, at least listening to them, hearing them out, looking from their perspective, and considering what they're saying very thoughtfully, at least doing that will give you maybe the opportunity to maybe see it from their from their way and for you to learn cuz here's the deal just as you were trying to maybe lead somebody along your line of thinking because you think it's best maybe they're trying to do the same thing for you maybe they're hearing you playing out of tune and they're trying to give you the opportunity to save face be like hey like here's a common quartet example that usually leads to arguments which leads to people yelling people walking out of rehearsal right hi i'm hearing okay so at letter a i'm hearing that our we're not really locking in harmonically together cellist do you think we can run through that together and then you play it and then every, the two violinists look at each other and they everybody knows who's wrong except the person who's wrong yeah and <laughs> The key here is to say, I feel as if we're not locking in intonation-wise. What you could do in this case is maybe say, hey, violin two and three, can you play with cello really quickly? I just want to step back and, and, and listen a little bit more. And then over time, somebody will discover either say themselves. it or they will come to discover, oh man, am I, am I a little too low? Yeah, I, that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing like maybe the tonal center is, is below where it should be. Oh, my bad. I got it. Locked in, right? at That's the best case scenario. But you should really do your best to listen from their perspective because maybe in rehearsal, somebody says, hey, I think you're playing a little under us. The first reaction is, no, you're wrong. I'm perfect. Yeah. I never make mistakes. <laughs> I practiced. I practiced. Yes, you did. And you are good. And you could be wrong. I so, yeah. Go ahead. There, yeah, I, there's so many good quotes about this, but it all boils down to the best people uh, are essentially judged being right, but by really understanding when they're wrong and being able to know that they're wrong. When you look at some of these big names who've made big impacts or big businesses, uh, Steve Jobs or something. He's a hard ass. He's a visionary. Probably not the best person to ever be around. But it does seem like he was able to assess when he made a mistake. Just going through his bio. And of which he made many. The, but I think being able to look back and understand, wait a minute, I'm not the smartest person in the room, nor should I necessarily aspire to be. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's very critical. A little story. Story and, time. Yeah, a little story. And then I want to, we can pair this into other topics. Yeah, for sure. And th- this directly goes into, it's not always right to be right. Into mm. So we play Bananagrams. Or we did play Bananagrams. A bunch here of my fiance's family. Mm-hmm. Bananagrams is like speed Scrabble. You each start off with a set amount of letters. They look just like Scrabble. It's using the same little types of pieces. And then there's a bunch of letters turned over in the middle. And basically, you're building your own Scrabble board with the letters you have. Mm-hmm. And you keep going in. Once you've spelled it all right, you grab another piece, you grab another piece. And then when there's out of pieces, the first person to finish. It's really fun. It makes Scrabble and spelling very active. Because you're <laughs> rushing. You're reformatting your crossword. And so, me, Mr. Smarty McSmarty Pants, I know all the big words, bigly words, mm-hmm. and I memorize all the weird two-letter words mm-hmm. that are legal. Joe, which is a mm-hmm. Scottish term for endearment, J-O, no Q-I, G, all these other mm-hmm. letters. K-O is technically a word, K-A, 
all these other I, I memorize all those so I can fly through this. Mm-hmm. You've got all these big words. And you can have disagreements. Is that real? Is that how you spell it? And you check the Scrabble dictionary. But why I tell this story is because and why we don't play this game anymore <laughs> is because it came down to one game when I'd use the word ed. ED. Yeah. Which is an abbreviation for education. Erectile dysfunction. And erectile dysfunction. Yeah. So you oh, can't okay. use abbreviations <laughs> unless they're pl- <laughs> Special a uh, special ed teacher, yeah, special erectile dysfunction teacher. But it came down to the word ed, and I'd use the word ed. And I'm a teacher. I know that's a word. You can use abbreviations when they're pulled into the lexicon. Uh, you're a special ed teacher. You don't say you're a special ed teacher for reasons Drew just proved. And so then there's arguments. You would write it out in a formal paper, and I will also like, no, not really. And then it's in the Scrabble Dictionary, but is it a real word? No, it's an abbreviation. But what rules are we defining? We're fighting all these rules. And I'm just determined. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I'm an educator. It is a real word. And it is real, and I am standing by this. And it's just a huge blow-up over this tiny yeah. little game. Yeah, yeah. Later on for Christmas, they bought me a two-letter Scrabble Dictionary as a joke. It's really funny. Oh my God, um, <laughs> for the record, Ed is in that. Ed is in it. It's, so. a, it's a real. But so we go up and suddenly we've played a lot of this game. A couple of weeks pass and we haven't played this game in a while. We haven't played this. We haven't played this game in a long time. And we, I mean, we've all been living together in the pandemic. Yeah. And I go up to Amy. She's, we don't play Ed. We don't play Bananagrams anymore. I'm like, what? and she's so, she's like, now Trevor. So how did you think the situation went? It was like, like a little kid. Yeah. Like I walk up there. So Tommy, how did you, you know, why did you punch yeah, the kid on the okay. playground? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. But she was like, so. Do you want to talk about what happened downstairs? And I was like, <laughs> so I realized that being right, we took it too far. That I was like, being right isn't always the right thing to do. And she's, yes, Trevor. I was like, I made it unfun by trying to win. Yes, Trevor, you did make it unfun. And now we don't play this game anymore. Because I ruined it by trying to be right. I still stand by it. But <laughs> it made it unfun. It made yeah. other people not happy. And now we don't play a game because of that. It's not necessarily an argument or disagreement, but you can lose being correct. And was being right about the word Ed worth not playing a game with my future in-laws? <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, what a waste. I made it, we made it unfun over the stupid little disagreement. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that. In so many situations, bringing that back into music. In the end, who cares if one person advocated for a crescendo or decrescendo? Just make a choice and do it as best as possible. It's not the end of the world. Unless you're in the high-end competition game and you really think this is going to make some difference and you're at the tip top. In the end, audiences are going to enjoy both, probably. There might even technically be a right way to do it. You don't always have to win. That doesn't mean stand down. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. if you go into an argument... To win it, like Carnegie said, mm-hmm. you lose. That's so beautiful. That's a wonderful story, Trevor. It's It personifies everything that we're talking about with disagreements. And the last thing I, I would probably add before we jump to something else is I was going to leave this later on in, in, in the podcast. But I'm going to drop some exclusive. Drop it. So I, I, I recently had a lunch with Anderson Pop and friends on Sunday. And it's it's a Tuesday, and I'm still glowing. I'm still glowing. But he said something that kind of it really resonated with me. And 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 we'll we'll go out into the bigger scope, and then we'll hone in on this discussion. But he was talking about how it feels really bad when you are in, and this is not per, from personal experience. We're just talking. Sticking to your guns when it comes to being a creative, wanting to really have your creative vision the way you feel it, the way you want it, and putting it out into the world. And if it doesn't work, you can still have peace in that because at least you said it the way you wanted to say it. And then the anguish that you feel if, wondering what if. When you're working with a label and the label execs and everybody else, all these producers, all the cooks in the kitchen, changing your vision to a point where it's not really what you want, but what they think is going to do well. And then it being put out there and then it not doing well. And then, wow, the anguish because he was like, man, I should have just done it the way I wanted to because at least I would then know. But 
that is a discussion about a greater work and about a, a body of work that is massive, an album, or the broad scope or structure of a song. When you're talking about what really results in arguments, which is usually a game of millimeters, mm-hmm. you have to zoom out and realize and, and think about it. Is this worth the argument? Is this crescendo really going to change? Is it going to is it going to make this twenty five percent better, or is it going to make it two percent better? You shouldn't fight over two percent. And the reason why I say this is oftentimes in order to get along with people, you are going to have to concede and you're going to not get your way. And you have to be okay with this. This is a violist talking, okay? I never get my way. (laughs) And a mental framework that I've adopted that's been very helpful in the years that have done small ensemble work and seen people get pissed angry, throwing hissy fits, walking out. If somebody wants you to do something, it seems like they're going to lose their shit over it. Have the confidence in yourself and say to yourself, I am good enough. I am a proficient enough uh, musician to be able to do it the way somebody else wants it done. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, are you or, or can you do it or not? And if you are incapable of doing it, that seems like a you problem. <laughs> but that's not that that's not the problem. That's neither here nor there. You should be able to do anything, as in, and take pride, the most pride in that, in being able to be a chameleon and being able to do whatever the music calls for. And if you can do that, then you can avoid tons of pain and anguish when dealing with people. Just to paint this in a similar light, a great example of compromising too much on that larger vision is the Hobbit movies. They're horrible. They're some of the the worst (laughs) things I've ever seen just from a filmmaking perspective. I'm not a Hobbit book stan. I barely remember it. But the Hobbit trilogy is textbook how to do pretty much everything wrong. And it's because of so many cooks in the kitchen money studio too many people coming in there losing really losing sight of the core vision but that's done at this global scale i think what drew what you painted so perfectly is looking at the smallness and the littleness of what so many disagreements really boil down to listeners think about it you remember how you feel from most of these arguments you can almost never remember what it was actually about i'm sitting there like angry about something in in a relationship and i'm just like wait a minute what we're even fighting about we've all had this we don't remember but we remember how we feel and i think that's very important to learn from because that's what's gonna stick Uh that little disagreement they're not even remember they won't agree with you if it turns out you were right Uh, (laughs) more more likely than not but they will remember that you made them feel small or made them feel wrong or maybe feel angry and you don't want to be in that situation you don't want people to associate you with that negative context like the clubhouse thing with the contrarian uh, for for our contrarians out there we love you you are very useful you can be annoying bill burr's a great example of someone who's built a career off of being a contrarian because he does it in a funny way and he delegates his contrarianness across the board and he makes it entertaining and brings a new perspective to things rather than disagreeing just to disagree. So check him out. Back, I want to, I want to yeah. like the Bill Burr thing, dude. Yeah. Huge because he also acknowledges that's the thing. People want to be heard and they want to be understood. This is from the first episode. He acknowledges what most people think. And he even says, if he disagrees with these, I can see why you see you feel this way. Yeah. But I don't feel that way, and this is why I feel – and that's what makes it funny because he probably doesn't believe most of that stuff anyway, but it's funny. Being a con- contrarian can be funny, and that's why he's such a master at it. But it, it, it doesn't work when you don't acknowledge how other people feel or their perspective. Another thing we can take from this, and maybe this segues into our other topic. It's a great example. Talking too much. As many listeners of this pod I could tell, I talk too much. <laughs> And so I should heed this advice. But Drew, do you want to kick off the talking too much example and we can dig into that line of thinking? What For specifically sure. are we talking about? This kind of is related. It's a very close cousin, probably first cousin of 
being interested instead of trying to be interesting. Oftentimes when you're trying to be interesting, you you lose your self-awareness in the amount of time you've been talking about yourself or about a subject. Now it's different. Context matters. If you're giving a TED talk, if you're giving a presentation, yeah, you should be talk, talk your shit, homie. Get after it, faking fan. Let them know what time it is. But if you're in a conversation between two people or among a group of people, you're creating something a conversation, a discourse that requires participation from all. And it's not a conversation if you take up the largest share. And 55-45 isn't bad. 60-40, not too bad. But if if you are not aware of how much you're speaking and how much or how little you're allowing your counterparts to give input, it's not, you're, you're preaching. Okay. And, yeah. and save it for church. Okay. Save it for Sunday. But it's, you know what I mean? So one thing that I do, I, I think that finding your niche in a friend group or in any social situation is huge. And you can be a chameleon of sorts, especially when you get good at social skills, but you should notice what is missing from a group of people. And oftentimes I've found the person that's missing is the moderator mm. and the moderator notices who is not getting a chance to speak. A moderator notices who is getting spoken over repeatedly. And so what you can do is speak up for those who aren't getting, who aren't able to get their word edgewise. And you can do it simply by saying, so what do you think, Tiffany? Like, I I get it. Yeah, Tom, you're right. But Tiffany, what's your perspective on that? Right, Trevor? That is right, moderator Drew. (laughs) A great example of this a master of this, our very first guest, Matt Bell. Hell yeah. He's someone who has presence. He's recognizable. He's respected. You can tell he's important, just like our most recent guest, Stephanie Matthews. When they walk into the room, they command that room, but they're not sucking the space, the air out of the room. It's through their ability to share and be able to extend with open arms and provide a safe and uplifting space for others is how they gain their power. And so with Matt Bell, he has all these components. He could walk in the room and be the most interesting person in the room. But somehow he goes up to everyone, big or small, no matter where you are in the stage of your career. And he's there, he meets you where you're at and he helps you out. He introduces you to everyone. He's the king moderator. He'll, he'll walk into the group, introduce you both. Hey, I really think this would be a great person to talk about. They're interested in this. He makes the connection, speed date, and then he dips and goes on to the next group. He's a master moderator. Speaking of which, we need to get him on the podcast. He just dropped an album. He's back. Yeah, he'd be a somewhat of a three-peat. We revisited him at NAMM one year later, so that'd be great to have him on. He's just so – he's such good people, and his podcast is so good. Right. Rockstar Violinist Podcast. If you haven't listened to it, definitely check it out. But thank you for bringing him up, dude. You're so right. Like, he is – I've – he goes to so many conferences and he's always the person connecting. He's the connective tissue. And so, yeah, if you're in groups and you see somebody is commanding attention, look, there are people that are leaders. There are people that just love the attention. They love soaking it all up. Let them have that spotlight. Sit back and listen. Let them soak it up. And if you see them stepping on somebody else, give that person give them a leg up so they can get so they can say their piece too i think we did a a decent job in part one and also here talking about when we're wrong and when we're ineffective at this and i think this is something i can bump into Mm -hmm. it all kind of depends i try to feel out what my role is and I think it's great to actively think of the moderator because I can remember when I've done a great job of this and when I came in and there were two people with the same roles or I was soaking up the space. And I see that a lot in myself when I think back because, again, we're ne- I'm not trying to win an argument. I'm not trying to to dominate the conversation and, and like it must be memorable and all these this checklist of things. 
what I do now with my practicing and conversation is I try to see back. I'm like, did we, everyone in that, did we win that conversation? There is a way to yes. win it. Do I walk mm -hmm. away feeling good? And what made that work was, do I think they had a good experience? <laughs> did I think we, we found a deeper understanding of each other or something else? Uh, and these are the things that make me feel good. And so I'm getting more and more comfortable and getting to more wins because I've practiced this. But also, I think because I'm having a little more confidence in conversations, and you hear this in the pod too, I'll talk a little too much. I'll have a little bit of confidence, but I don't exactly know what I'm trying to articulate. So I start to just keep fucking going. And you made the point, come on, shut up. It's, it's about the guest. And so I'll be in these groups, these social situations. And I think they're like surprised. And I'm surprised myself that I'm able to do a good job talking about what I'm doing, interacting and listening and responding to what they're doing. Because of that confidence, almost to some degree an overconfidence, I've started to soak up more space. And they're great. They'll be asking me questions. I'm filling them in. A lot of mm -hmm. people, uh, since I mostly interact with non-musicians, are fascinated by what we do. Mm -hmm. And so it's great practice to be able to translate what you do into something that could be interesting to them. What I've noticed, I was did a great job at this bar. I was with Amy and a bunch of her friends, interacting with them, finding out about them, talking, doing a good job of this moderating, but being, being an interested and interesting person simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I got a car ride from car ride home from someone who I just met. Amy was going to stay hanging out. Us two old folks were going to leave. So they're going to drop me off. Uber prices were like 80 bucks. It was, just, oh, yeah, nah, it was super convenient. Know, but, and so yeah. we have this, we're having great conversations. I'm meeting her where she's at and we're talking about sugar and other fun things and yeah. traveling the world. But one thing I just noticed is when it got towards the end and she's asking me about me, I just simply talked too much about what we were doing. And so I walked out of that car conversation. I'm just like, damn it. Like I lost. Mm. I didn't put in energy to coax more out of her about mm. her job. She was just interested in what I was doing. She mm. didn't give a shit about me starting businesses. Like who, who the fuck cares? Like I didn't provide valuable information that would necessarily be memorable or really useful. Mm. And I think it's really smart. I've never necessarily thought about that. Like coming in and stepping in and being a moderator. That's King making shit. That's Stephanie mm. Matthews shit. That's mm. Matthew Bell shit is going in there and you seem powerful because you're the guides, you're the gutter guards, you're guiding the conversation and you're helping people out by doing that. You, you don't have to even work that hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite part, dude. Dude, I'm so lazy in every aspect of my life. I've, I've always, I've been, I've grown up with this perspective of like, it's important to work smarter, not harder. And part of it is understanding that there is balance. This is the Libra in me, okay? So, like, it's important to be interested, but you have to also realize that if everybody was just interested, everybody would just stare at each other, ask them questions, nobody would answer. <laughs> no, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? No, what do you It'd think It'd be Jeopardy. About? What is <laughs> What <this>? is <laughs> With no answers. So there is space. But yeah, it's that self-awareness in realizing. And so one thing to hone in on is being present in the conversation. A lot of times, one of the maybe the drawbacks of, of social media and communicating through phones is you, you don't have to read the person's body language. It's easy to kind of code switch to many different conversations without having to be invested in that moment with that person. And you can tell when you've been talking too much very clearly by somebody's body language because they will subconsciously and maybe even some cases consciously leave the, the conversation. Like <laughs> they'll pull their phone out. They'll start looking around the room. They will, there'll be long periods where they're not giving you eye contact. It depends on person by person. If they're not a big eye contact person, it doesn't really mean much, but they'll just start fidgeting. Like they're not invested, right? Because maybe they're thinking about what they want to say, or they're not interested in this line of questioning anymore. And being aware of that allows you to reset. It's okay. We all make mistakes. 
We all you can't control how people feel about things all the time or ever actually, but you can respond. And being able to respond is being responsible. So being a responsible person who has conversations and communication skills takes practice, but just realize it's about the people. If you pay attention to the people, most of these problems will present themselves and you'll come up with solutions. Now, one problem that can happen and often happens when you're dealing with people of different backgrounds is accidentally offending somebody. I do it all the time. When people don't know you, and you are a person who likes humor and you're sarcastic, you will, when pe- until people know that about you, you will offend them, okay? Stop, take a breath, and apologize. Don't like try to say, don't try to make it about them or make them feel bad about how they feel. Just mm-hmm. apologize. I did not know. Or that was not my intent. However, I apologize and made you feel that way. Listen to them if they have something to impart upon you, because maybe you said something truly offensive in their culture that you didn't know about, and then you can learn about it. But realize that people don't know your intent. That's a very great point because this will happen. And I think both of us, we bump into the same area Mm -hmm. because while we become more confident, and like how I voice that is through humor. Mm-hmm. I'm the funny guy. I'm in, even in these important work meetings, I think I made my boss like actually cry like from laughter. So here's the reality of the situation. Also try really hard with these jokes and I notice myself doing too many. And I'm like, ah, because they're not always going to land. And so now I literally in the chat, because it was particularly funny, I, I, I have to self-censor. I guess that's one benefit of technology is that I could just hit the delete button and just not send it. But I noticed I was doing it too much and it was soaking up the space and distracting from the valuable parts of the meeting. Mm-hmm. And that can be an issue. So specifically on offending someone, I remember some of these moments to where I've put my foot in my mouth. I'm like, hi, at least I don't like live in this place. And then it turns out that's where they're from. Or I'm like ribbing on something and then they're uncomfortable. And so I think what, Drew, what you described shows a lot of strength is to just say, oh, I'm sorry, or wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And if it's something like they want to use as a talking point, you can like effectively steer it in there. There's a line. I try to, in that meet things where we are, I try to map or appropriately meet the negative side of things where they are. Is, whoa, was that like, some fucked up racist thing, or was that mm-hmm. like my microtransa- microtransaction? Jesus, like, <laughs> my EA Sports. Did did I have to pay tokens for that racism? No, a micro. Did you buy bucks? <laughs> <laughs> but are you, like me, okay, that was yeah. like a micro micro uh, aggression. aggression. Yeah, or yeah. whatever it is. Take the L. I, thank you for bringing that up. I haven't thought about that. Taking a deep breath is such a powerful thing oh, in it's... conversations when it's great. We talked about that when someone gives you a compliment, and I think you should also do that when someone says something wrong. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. It can help solve so many issues. It's therapeutic. What is super important too, you actually highlighted it, does the severity of the reaction match the offense, right? You must understand that there is like a caveat when it comes with a, uh, accidentally offending people that sometimes people want to be offended mm-hmm. and they are just waiting for a moment to pounce so they can get some of their aggression and anger out and they will use you to blow all of their issues up on. like it, That's why social skills, this is such a broad topic because everybody is on a different position of the game board. But the ones that you want to spend time with and, and, and the people that you want to allow to affect your internal compass, your internal locus of focus in understanding who you are, those need to be people that have good faith. But if mm. people in any situation, whether it is uh, complimenting you, you can be complimented in bad faith because they are trying to butter you up. They're trying to flatter you, to manipulate you. You can have somebody 
blow up at you in bad faith because they understand your intent wasn't to do it, but they choose to be offended in order to make, hopefully make a, uh, an example out of you. You can feel these things. And if you feel it, verify it, be candid. Are, I hear what you're saying, but are you sure that it warrants a response like this? Like, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. It was never my intent. I hope you know that. I hope you know it from the tone of my voice, from how I'm holding my body. It was not aggressive at all. That's not where I was coming from. And I understand that it hurt you and I apologize. And if they choose. Thank you, Drew. That, that means a lot to me. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, bro. No, see, okay, how could you argue with that unless you want to in bad faith? And then you realize this is not somebody I want to socialize with right now. They have other issues they're bringing into this interaction, okay? And you can't control that. So bear that in mind as well. So certainly trim down the, some of the rant I went on earlier, but you had such great points in there. One thing is simply that while you want to win the conversation as a team and you want to put people in the best position to either save face or to come along with you on this journey and gain something from this interaction, in the end, you have no power over these other people. <laughs> mm -hmm. You could try to win friends and influence people, but you do what you can. And sometimes there's bad faith arguments or bad faith compliments. And I think a big part of going through this is just understanding who it is. And if you notice someone's not being genuine and they're not there to meet you where you are at that time, then it's okay to simply write off some of these interactions. Yeah. Oh shit. That got a little weird. I think that's something valuable. It's, it all ties into what we've been talking about is for these powerful people and the ability to understand where they were wrong has led to some of their greatest successes. Also the ability to understand, you know, Am I going to get a takeaway from this interaction? Is there something to learn? Is this the right person? And also maybe it's not the right time because everyone's dealing with stuff. And we brought this up in Stephanie Matthews episode where we're very understanding of our own situations. When we're speeding, it's because, oh my God, I'm late. And I just, I can't be late again. And I know it's, I know it's wrong, but I just speed this and I've had a bad day. But if someone passes us speeding, Wow, what an asshole. They have tiny balls. Wow, the <laughs> Connecticut license plate. What a jerk. Or in Colorado, it's a Subaru driver. I hate you. You're an idiot. And and yet, they could be in that car having that same exact situation or needing to go to the hospital. We simply don't know. And so I've just been working really hard, and it's super hard for us musicians and uh, an artist, to just really ingrain that. Why am I worrying about things that aren't in my control? If I can't control it, it's not really a problem. Problems can be solved. I can't control how other people react. I can try my best to win friends and influence people and to improve my social skills to better enable them to meet me where I'm at or to make them feel better, to have a positive engagement or gain something from a conversation. But not everyone's going to be open to that. And then accepting that you don't it doesn't have to turn out in a win. It doesn't have to result in something and that you can't control their actions. I think that's where confidence and power can come from, you can't which only makes it like easier. You. you can't make everybody like you. I'm sorry. You're never going to do that. You're never going to do that. Don't try. Trust me. I've tried. This is, I'm a people pleaser. I'm like, just love me. I love you. Just love me back. But that's not how it works. Right, and though. honestly, this is some Seth Godin shit, but it's real. Like something that everybody likes is generally like low quality. Have you watched? I don't know. Maybe you like- Friends, shots fired. Like oh God. Oh God. Shots TV fired. TV that everybody watches, like game shows. If you watch game shows or I've actually been falling into a reality TV show, commentary- uh, mm -hmm. hole on YouTube with my girlfriend. Like a lot of these shows that get like millions of views, they're like, the editing sucks. Like it's just so <laughs> ugly. Like it's like corny and this is, but a lot of people like it. The thing is, if you don't have any 
strong positions about anything. Like, or if you don't steadfastly have values around anything, you're not going to attract people that genuinely want to find you, that genuinely like you. And at the same time, you're also not going to offend anybody either. But at the end of the day, like if you reject people that aren't going to resonate with you anyway, that's a net win, dude. I don't want racists to like me. Yeah. Like I'm not trying to win over racists. Like they, that, and it's well, bad faith. what a waste of energy. It's bad faith. They don't even, they don't see me as a black man. They don't see me as human, as fully human. They see me as subhuman. So it's like, why even bother? And so I think that's like really important for you to grasp and understand when it comes to social skills. Like Nyabra's going to like you. And that's okay. In fact, that means you're probably doing something right, especially if you come from a place of good faith and love when it comes to dealing with people. That's great. And being genuine. And you can tell that with a bunch of influencers or people online, like when they're going out of their way to rile up uh, the people they disagree versus when they're going out at this is, I strongly believe about this thing and I'm standing for it and I'm combating off bad faith actors. There's so much bad faith, particularly in like political space mm-hmm. to where it's just very obvious. That's the game though, man. Because it, it works for yeah. the algorithm and like, mm-hmm. that's like the big issue. Not just because you can be provocative. You can say, I'll say some like crazy things and you can certainly do that. But I don't, my, my mission is to understand people I disagree with, to, to hear them, to learn with it. It helps reinforce my own Mm-hmm. Believes mm-hmm. I spend more time. We've talked about in this past. I spend more time reading up on the and air quotes the other side's arguments because mm-hmm. I feel like I learn more from it. I'm not going out to necessarily. I, I want to avoid the bubble. You're not but trying I to get still, radicalized. I'm yeah. I'm slowly <laughs> becoming radicalized. That's what actually. <laughs> but that's a way to go out and learn is to go out and just meet different people and, and understand things. But also, I do see so much bad faith on this other side of the aisle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like where it's very clear that no matter what happens, it's about winning. It's about stirring controversy. It's about provoking the other people into making mistakes. And so much of it, you see it in the titles and the headlines of, say, the Daily Wire. It doesn't matter the situation and why the Daily Wire is getting a lot of attention is because their engagement, for those who don't know, it's like extreme Facebook Fox News. It's the most engaged platform on Facebook by a long shot. More than I think New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, something mm. else combined. Mm. They're not like reaching more people, but they've figured out the algorithm. They have such high engagement. It's astronomical if you look mm. at the chart. Mm. And what do they do? They're just data and blog aggregators. Mm. Like they 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 other posts from other sites, other news stories, other things, mm-hmm. and they just plop it on their site. And then they tweak it to make it their point of view. They swap Mm. the headline out to provoke. And so what they've effectively done is they can turn any situation into making liberals bad or even to provoke controversy. Sometimes they'll post stuff up and it's one of those things to where both sides on the right hate elements. It's freedom versus Trump versus government, whatever. Mm. But they they Mm. literally don't care. They're there to Mm. provoke engagement. And so Mm. it's just – it's amazing to watch literally any story about anything – be spun and to to drive this argument but has that made anyone better no is no. <laughs> no. anyone i've read the comment sections it is a absolute trash fire and like that's kind of an example of where the intentionally offending people and going in and having bad faith back and forth discussions about how useless that is and how it's helped no discourse everyone is lost even when they come in there and they win and they spend all these times arguing with people. I spent so much time on Facebook pre-Trump. It was dubbed, in air quotes, the Facebook king because I'd post up funny things and I'd have debates and I'd, I knew my shit and I'd stand ground. And then Trump gets elected and I was, I was like, wow, what a waste of my time. Yeah, I didn't convince like, a single person. It's my time to shine. I'm going to show yeah. these people. Yeah, I'm going to help them out. And so I just stopped yeah. posting on social media for like four years, like barely mm-hmm. posting. Barely post on Facebook. People still ask, oh, the Facebook, oh, it's funny you're doing stuff. I'm like, yeah, guys, look back. I only posted shit in like five years because I just realized what a waste of energy. There's so much bad faith things. A lot of people had reached out. Like, hey, they'd 
I mean, Drew gets to an extreme level, but they reach out like, wow, like I like the things you said, or oh, this is funny and insightful and blah, 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 which is great. But it just didn't seem like the right way to do this, which brings mm-hmm. us into, I think, another segment that I'd like to talk about is yeah. we've mentioned a lot of things in both of these episodes for in-person communication. You're reading their body language. You're feeling them out. You're yeah. being open literally with your body. Move your hands around. Active. Mm. You're a peacock. Baka, baka, mating dance. Yeah, ladies. And yeah, ladies yeah. <laughs> I got feathers. So Check these bad boys yeah. out. Well, I don't. I have no idea what a peacock sounds like. Certainly not what I just made. But <laughs> no, that's just what I sound like. Shake it, baby. Anyways, what about the digital space? We've been easing into it. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of bad faith, but also yeah. we know psychologically that w- we figure out our judgment on the person before they've ever opened their mouth by how they present themselves. And so when you're in a digital space, you've removed that. You put up character limits. You put up all these other things, and we don't have that brain trigger of, oh, this is another person. I want to agree with them. I want to be with them. It's across the screen, and that's obviously led to a lot of division. And even just with our one-on-ones and talking with businesses and the things we're doing, it can be hard to communicate tone over Slack. We might yeah. have a little disagreement. I'm like, oh, oh, shit. Like I can tell by the response that it, it was t- taken in a more aggressive way than I meant to put it on text. But I can't put a click a tone button in Slack. Yeah. And so it's really hard. That's what emojis screen. are for. <laughs> yeah. We read what we want out of it. And it's really hard. Like you as a chief executive officer of the digital space. What do you think, what are some tips, pros, cons, and thoughts about digital interaction? I think the metric, or not the metric, but the dimension of your communication should be different than when you're in the real world. In the digital space, there's so much information from so many different places that people put out the first thing and anything that comes out of their brain. And that's the opposite of what you should be doing. Cause first of all, it's permanent. The internet is forever. You put something out, somebody it's screenshot, especially if it's sus, you put out something sus it's forever, homie. Like they going to be, they going to be like putting those tweets up on the projector at your funeral. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they going to remember. So, I think there is a lack of respect for people's time and their attention when it comes to general social media posting. And and, and if you're learning your social skills from social media, you are learning to be anti-social human being. Let's just, we're just going to keep it there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to create too many pejoratives around this, but what I like to do is I think I have a filter, believe it or not. And I think before I post anything, and I barely post anything anymore because everybody else is doing it and I'm not trying to compete. If you want to know about me, come see me in real life. Let's go. I'm only here for a limited amount of time anyway. Okay. So come get it while it's hot. I ask myself the simple question, is this valuable to anybody who's on the receiving end of this? And even a lot of like really famous people, Conan O'Brien, Joe Rogan, they, even Dave Chappelle, they they say, don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. And I think that's important in a way. Like when you're building a brand, yes, being accessible is important. You're going to get negative feedback and it's going to be brutal because it's not to your face. It's through a screen. So there's like this pseudo anonymous feel to it. Mm -hmm. Like they're never going to read this. I'm feeling bad. So I'm just going to say something really mean in attempts to make them feel bad about this thing that I wish I could have done and, but I didn't do. And so they're there and they made me feel bad about myself. So I want to make them feel bad now. The only time I ever really respond to something like that. And the way I respond is, uh, man, that, that kind of hurt or I'm sorry you feel that way, man. But uh, I did my best. And uh, I hope you know that it wasn't my intent to offend your ears or your eyes or whatever. Show them respect. And I think if you take the importance of respect from the real world and bring it into the digital space, you will find 
that other people will fight your battles for you, especially if you've built up a level of rapport and brand. Like nowadays, if some when people leave shitty comments on my page, I'll have three or four people jumping on. <laughs> what are you talking about, dude? Get out of here with that bullshit. So it's if you're a good person and you're a loving person and a respectful person and you are that way at scale in the kind of content you put out, you're going to be okay. And there will be people that resonate with you and they will come to your side and they will support you and you will have a much more pleasurable experience in the digital space. Like it can be heaven or hell out there and you forge your tribe. And if you forge your tribe from vitriol and discord and anger, I like discord. The app. Join our Discord. Join our Join Discord. Our Discord, Faking News Podcast. But if you just thrive in chaos and that's what you bring to the space, the algorithm's gonna give you chaos back. Mm. So consider that. I think it also ties into what we were talking about earlier, which was very important. So important I remembered it. So <laughs> I think this ties into one of the things we were talking about earlier, which is where zooming out, thinking about, do I need to win this interaction? Uh, do I have to be right? Do I have to get my way? Is this worth it? Is this going to move the needle any percentage either way, regardless of the outcome? Like noticing the smallness. And I think so much of what happens in the digital space is that exact scenario. And I think that's why for me, I realized all this Facebook crap I was doing it's just absolutely not worth it. I'm not going to be able to change someone's mind in this me method. You can't it, do it over the internet. I'm sorry. And I'm you sitting there angry. can't do it over the internet. Yeah, and then I have people's moms slide into my DMs whining about how they created a business and blah, blah, blah. And then my kids are going to do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like arguing with someone's mom. Like, <laughs> this is so fucking stupid because <laughs> neither of us, we both know. It's such a game. It's such bad faith. We both know nothing's going to come from this. And then all I did was just like make me angry for the day and have me sit in my undergrad library, like fucking rage comedy to, some, to someone's aunt. And it's just <laughs> useless. It's just such a waste of energy and time and realizing the smallness of it and how little impact it would ever make. Mm -hmm. I think take your frustration, put it somewhere else. Yeah. Like just do it. something just useful. And I think do something useful. Zooming out, there's a bunch of takeaways because we'll continue. We'll return back some other time to this series and many other series about life and that target other elements that we think are valuable to musicians and things that should be worked on, like social skills. But a lot of it does boil down to self, you know, understanding of the self. How do I fit into this? What can I do? What do I need to work on? And if I'm confident and know myself enough, it can free you from being the people pleaser. It can make it easier because mm – -hmm. You can elevate others because who cares? You're good. You're covered. You don't have to. I don't have to get a gig from this, the, hanging out in this circle at this party. I don't have to get anything from this. I can get them gigs. And that's great for me too. And I think by having that confidence in yourself and part of getting there is the ability to zoom out and understand that it's the pale blue dot. Almost everything you're angry about today Will I remember this in one week? Absolutely not. You might not even make it that far. When you're making some of these decisions about life, where I'm going to go, you'll, you'll never know all the other ways it could have gone, but did it really change who I am? And then more often than not, the little interaction, not the little interactions, but the thing you didn't think was important turned out to be important. So it's going through and just assessing the situation with bigger eyes and we're, not, we're far from perfect at it i think by working towards that being able to assess emotions realizing when i'm using caveman brain or when i'm thinking selfishly or when i'm trying to make something about me rather than just realizing and taking comfort in the insignificance of that interaction suddenly it's not stressful i think like when we're walking up we've you just had a meal with anderson pack and i bet you fucking crushed it I bet you crushed it. And Bro, be, I didn't yeah. feel like it, man. I, I, be, I, I bet you did. Like it, I bet you did. And we bumped into I, I've had dinners and interactions with some big name people. Yeah. And we feel mm -hmm. great about it because mm -hmm. 
I just realized like how small <laughs> it is and that it doesn't necessarily matter. And then it's not about me. And like, it's okay. Zooming out is what's starting to give me the confidence. And I don't think I could have zoomed out without doing a little zooming in, which is what we've been doing on this podcast the past two years. And too bad we don't use Zoom anymore because that would have been a perfect little <laughs> sponsored by Zoom. Zoom in, Zoom out. But so, so I think we're gonna. I think this is a good way place to end this. I just wanted to like thank you, Figging Fam, for listening all the way out here. I hope this was valuable to you. We want to do more of these types of episodes where we get practical tools and insights from our personal lives, our stories. I love telling stories. I love hearing stories of your life, the mundaneness of what was it, banana. Yeah, bananagrams. Ed, it's a real word. It's a real word. Bananagrams. I think that's valuable. And you can there's there are lessons to be had in everyday life. And and we want to help provide value so that you can be well-rounded human beings, not just artists, but people who can succeed in the world because your music is only a small part of what it will take for you to be successful in this life. And getting along with people is really high up there. Join our Discord. Ask us questions. We want to do more listener questions on this podcast. And thank you for everybody who who asked us questions on the last episode. And look forward to more Discord events. Look forward to more Patreon exclusives for the patrons listening. And yeah, that's all I had to say. That's it. That was a great job, moderator Drew. And uh, <laughs> thank you, moderator Trevor. But seriously, everyone, reach out. We want to have more of these. We want to figure out what the next series can be. And until next time, folks. Stay safe.